Okay, so where we're up to in Nefeshachayim is this. So let's just do a very quick summary of previous chapters. Um, as follows. So the very first chapter, again, if you remember, is what does it mean to be Tzalem and Akim to be in the image of God? Chapter 2 is beginning, why does it say image of Elohim specifically? And that's because the word Elohim means Baal HaKoychus Well, Elohim just means Koychus powers, anything with power, secular power, judges, law, anything. Uh, but when we relate to then all of creation, all the power goes back to its source, then it becomes the name of God. But the point is that it relates to all the different source material, all the different powers in the world being rooted in a point. And Selim to be in the image of God is, is not very dissimilar. It means there's a sense in which all the energies, powers, and everything in the world are rooted in the actions of man. Right? And then he said... That's how Hashem made the world. That was chapter three, really. They made the world and he took all the force of the world and he made them reactive to us. We're not in direct conscious control of them. But he said in chapter four, therefore, a person should never say, what's the impact of my actions? Our actions can impact absolutely everything everywhere. Um, and in chapter five, we said that why did God have this plan to, to build the world this way? He said, in, it wasn't, in essence, what it was, was that, Every single part of creation is rooted into this. In other words, the unity of all creation occurs in the human being because the whole purpose of creation was the consciousness other than God with which God can share creation. So because of that, everything, therefore, in any world, physical or spiritual, up and down the universes, is related to, our, to us and to our actions. Okay, so then we said, and he quoted the Arizal at the end of the fifth chapter, who said that man is like the soul of all existence. And then the beginning of the sixth chapter, he started by saying, okay, it, it's, you should know when Arizal says something, it, it hides much more than it reveals. So there's a lot, a lot of depth to all of this. And it's not literally like a soul-body relationship, um, but fundamentally, it's the man is at the end of creation that gathers all, all of creation kind of coalesces into man. Um, and then he quoted lots of proofs for it. And now we're up to the paragraph that begins with Zekola Adam. This is the whole human. We actually did touch upon this a little bit uh, last time, but now we've got a very important footnote to look at. Shekol, now the phrase Zekola Adam, right, goes to the end, as I said last time, the end of Koheles. In English, known as Ecclesiastes, I don't need to say that for you guys, but uh, Koheles, the end of Koheles, Zekola Adam. And I pointed out also that... Um, Right, the pasuk, the verse that says, at the end, when everything's heard, you should fear God, and keep all His commandments. That is the whole human being, right? So why not just say that? Why do we need chapter after chapter, like so many chapters of the Book of Kailas? Because that's only when you've integrated all the other chapters and all the journey that He goes through do you really understand that last statement. It has to contain everything. And similarly here, Adam. Right, the word Kali, you should know the Vilna Gaon, I think it is, who pointed out, I think it's Vilna Gaon. Um, oh, no, I'm pretty sure it's the Vilna Gaon, who says the difference in Kol with a Cholom with an O sound and Kol with a comets is Kol means each individual. Kol with an O sound means the whole thing as one. And so, for example, there's, there's a, you know, we normally say, V'chol ha'chaim yaduchasela, each member of life will praise you. And the Vilna Gaon has changed to V'chol ha'chaim, the real praise of God will come when we all become one again, right? So anyway, Zakol Ha'adam means the integration of 
it's not each individual, but the whole of humanity is one. So, but really, it's refracted into each one of us as well. By every, in a sense, what it means within each individual, what makes us one, is that every individual little power within us is aligns itself with a one of the spiritual worlds or dimensions within which reality is projected. Or one specific um, point. So that's true of our physical limbs. It's true of our mental apparatus. It's true of our, our spiritual being. It's all lined up against and towards and, and, and uh, linked to, it's like we're wired in and plugged into everything. It's like the nervous system moving between the human and every single part of all of the worlds, like the brain or nerve center, right? That Mishir um, Koma from the, uh, the literally the, the structure of all the inner spiritual worlds and dimensions. All the worlds and, and powers. And, and the, the idea that it's all structured like the human being, like we're going to explain later on. Now, to understand this properly, um, you often, I don't know if you've ever seen these Kabbalistic maps, you know, the little circles, you know, the different characters, you know, characteristics. Now, they look something like a human being or some kind of uh, like a, um, an artificial intelligence robot, or, you know, but they've got kind of a head and then they split into two and then they come back together again. The idea is that the interrelationships between the midas, these character traits, now let's be, let, is going to resemble the physical structure of the human, but let's go back and explain what this means. When we talk about human character traits, midas, they impact us. We don't control that. We, we can override them. We, and as we don't control what feelings come to us, we can control what we do with them. On a deeper level, we can eventually control what feelings come to us. If we're in a very relaxed state of trusting Hashem, certain things won't flare up inside us, and so on. But in principle, when we feel anger, it pulls us in a certain direction. When we feel love, it pulls us in a certain direction. And to some degree, when these things are unleashed within us, we often feel like we're completely losing control, right? <clears throat> that is not the case with Hashem. Hashem doesn't have midas like we have midas. He doesn't have an anger or love pulling him in directions that, that make it hard for him not to do something. But what he does have is patterns of behavior, rules or tools. So before God creates a world, he creates patterns of possible interaction, like packaged programs, if you like, you know, the, of the way that the algorithms can develop and build creation. And one of them will be called Ahava, which right, means a force of deep connection. One of them will be called maybe Haroinaf, which means, in English we'd use the word anger, but it means that the, something has to be destroyed now. One of them will be called a Yad, which in English means a hand, but really means a tool of interaction and revelation, perhaps. And there might be two of them. One that does chesed, that does kindness in the world, one that does din, that holds back kindness. When, and all of reality is built out of the complex interactions of these fundamental laws, patterns, or whatever. And as they become more and more complex, so you get more and more and more complex levels of reality. Uh, at their core, there's 10 of them, okay? Uh, and, and the human body. So now when you get down to the physical world and things are translated through the spiritual, into the emotional, into the physical so even the physical body of the human being will be have different components interrelated 
much in the same sorts of patterns that if it was a spatial relationship would be the relationships between, it's like a physical map of the relationships between these different forces and attributes. So if at the beginning is kasser or a pure will, God has pure will, and then it splits into chokhmah, some kind of big picture vision, and then bina, the details, plan. So our brain will go from a point of unity, like the kasser or crown, into bifurcating into right and left, paralleling the right parallels, so the big picture, the left parallels, the more detailed thinking. And then it comes together again around the mouth, neck, and, and that's like das, the integration. Right? And then it splits again. There's now, so in other words, and that's at the level of intellect, let's say. Then you get into the level of emotion, right? And again, it splits into right and left, male and female, chesed and gavura, right? Outpouring of giving and, and, and focus. And then it comes together at tiferes, at some kind of uh, um, integratedness. And the human body does the same thing. We split into right and left and we come together at the heart. Right, And then when it comes to action, again, we split off right and left and the center. And that's again, there will be the legs that are very physical. They just move the human around. Right, They don't convey emotion. And then the reproductive part of us. So the human body will go from two to one to two to one to two to one, just like the spiritual worlds do, just like the emotional world. All these things, they all parallel one another. And you can go into smaller detail and more macro detail. So for example, at it, at, right, one, I remember hearing a long time ago, Actually, it's a Shabbaton um, in Hebrew University when I was uh, when I was studying in yeshiva and I went to Madrichle. And I just remember the first time I'd ever heard it. This idea that as you go up the human body, and it has a big impact on me. Now you can find the sources of this in, in more Kabbalistic writings. But as you go up the human body, it becomes less and less physical. Right? So all the sensory organs are concentrated, except for touch, in the head. And the head of the human is above the, the body. With an animal... The animal usually its back is straight, which means if its head is, is aligned, it's either down or equal to the body, can lean up as well. But it's like part of the surface of the body and the human walks upwards. But even as you climb, if you take the mouth and it needs to sense something, it has to absorb it entirely inside. A mouth can only taste what something is if it's inside the mouth. What's outside, it can't taste. The nose is different. The main entity can stay outside of you as long as tiny particles enter. Eyesight is even more. It doesn't even need to be near you. You can see something very far away in the horizon or in the distance. Hearing also far away. And then the mind, kind of the brain at the top, doesn't even need the entity to be there at all. If you think about the brachas we make on Havdalah, right? This way, you know, Hagafen, that's like the mouth. Basamim, the, the spices, that's what we smell with, our, our, with the nose. Right? So Shabbos goes out, we're activating from the... Then we make on the light of fire, a Mohaish, that's the eye. And then Hamavdil, the concept, the distinction between spiritual and, and physical, right? So we're climbing upwards. And of course, the point above all that is where the tefillin go. It's the point above the head, etc. So this is the idea. So the physical structure of the human being maps the spiritual worlds. Now let's look at this footnote. This is, just one second, just one second. So yeah, this is before the sin of man. Before the sin in, in the Garden of Eden, man was only made up of all the spiritual, sorry, whoops, only made up of all the spiritual and positive forces. There was nothing, nothing negative inside the human being whatsoever. Uh, but after the sin, 
Also built into our very fabric of our being. Sorry, moving the camera around. My, my foot is over here. Built into the fabric of our being is also negative energies and negative forces. The snake's poison got inside us. Before then, it was external to us. So we were wired into all the channels of holiness. But also we had our non-existent part of us. Like, you know, we were imperfect and incomplete and we had to complete ourselves. And that imperfection made us vulnerable to the poison of dark negative thoughts. And we became attracted to it and we absorbed it. But now it's actually inside us and wired into us as well. Um... Yes, also the negative form. And that also means that built into the spiritual worlds themselves became obstacle forces, blockages of light, actual energies opposite them of darkness and so on. An actual real possibility of being antagonistic to the light. Not just scared of it or wanting to pull away from it. It's an actual what we'd call evil. The root, I should say the root of evil. There's no actual evil, up, but the root of evil. Um, and by the time we get to this kind of past the human being downwards, you can have real forces of evil. The negative forces or anti-world forces become very, very powerful. Um, because the humans integrated from all of them, if, if we become susceptible to darkness and, and negativity, then something equivalent must now be occurring. We will be projecting it into all of these worlds. Um, <clears throat> because we connect right? and since our actions impact all that's going on in the channels of flow of holiness into the world so if we do bad actions there's real bad stuff happening this is really the deep secret of the idea of the tree of knowledge of good and bad why? the idea is that before the sin of course, we were at free will. Of course, the human being could choose what to do. To do good or to do not good. The whole point of the world was free will. And even afterwards, right, sin. But it wasn't the same. Evil wasn't built into the, the deep negative darkness wasn't actually built into the fabric of the brain and the mind of the human. Um, yeah, what was key? Man was totally straight. Only made up of structures of holiness. Right, everything that was that made up the human was itself a direct conduit or indirect conduit, but a conduit back to God, flowing full of holiness, pulsating with with kedusha, with goodness, and so on. Without in those conduits themselves being any direct impulse to evil. Evil was a magnetic force operating from the outside, not a force that operated on the inside. It was very attractive to the human, obviously, as we see things went wrong. And maybe one can discuss another time exactly what happened. The choice was, do you want to engage with those negative forces? Right? And again, because the human was not complete, was not completely full of light, otherwise we wouldn't have had a sense of self and consciousness. Right? The human had a place of emptiness 
um, which could which darkness tempted the human to fill. And oversimplifying, there's a lot more complexity to the Chet of Adamarishan. But that is an important point to understand. So there was a drive to enter that world or let that world enter into us. But it wasn't the same as now. There was no direct um, inward anger, hatred, temptation, lustfulness, jealousy, uh, just, you know, depression, laziness, all these sorts of dark things that swirl in the mind of the human were not swirling in the mind of the human. Right? If you look even how the snake tempts first the woman, then the man, it's like, did God tell you not to eat from the trees of the garden? No, we can. There's just one we can't. Right? Where's the gap? Where's the absence? And then he says, well, I let you be the center of the world. That's what snake says. Right? You can be like God. The dust over at, no good and bad. There's a whole Rambam, a beautiful uh, chapter two in the Guide for the Perplexed, how the snake was saying, you can taste subjectivity. Instead of truth and falsehood, you can taste good and bad. Words, good and bad, are words that we borrow from aesthetics. The food is good, right? The music is bad, the music is good, right? So the picture is good or bad. In fact, the entire vocabulary of, of, um, of ethics is completely borrowed from aesthetics. So, so we will describe pictures, sounds, Music, food is good, beautiful, wonderful, amazing. Moral act is good, beautiful, wonderful, amazing. And vice versa, our negative vocabulary. Because we're talking about how the world makes us feel. So the snake says you could become the world where your feelings will define reality. Where if you don't like somebody, your eyes will see them as evil. Your eyes will be open. That's what it says, right? Your eyes, your eyes will be opened. I forget the example. You'll be like gods, knowing good and bad, and that's what we've become. And that choice to make ourselves a center of reality is a choice now flooded with feelings. So if something makes us feel not good, it becomes evil and we develop hatred and jealousy and, and our brain goes prosecuting that person and looking for everything wrong with them and so on, right? So we can attach ourselves to stuff that serves us but is destructive for the world and, and all this kind of stuff. So we're now, that's post the hate. That's this thing. So that's, it was, person had free will to enter all this stuff inside. But in many ways, it was like a free will in as much as we have free will not to walk into a fire. The actual, so the, the only real free will was to choose to engage with evil. To actually do a bad thing was as repulsive to the human as walking into a fire would be to us. Because... Every one of our nerves is designed to protect us. So fire, ah, get out. So eating, let's say the equivalent of eating tray for, or, uh, you know, or hitting someone in the face or, ah, no way, get out. The only free will was, do I absorb this possibility of becoming the center of reality? And once that happens, phew, now everything else ignites inside. And as we can leave... Just, sorry, can you just clarify that point about the choice is ours to whether they absorb it or Yeah. The actual choice to do a specific act of evil was as compelling to us as walking into a fire is to us. Was as compelling to Adam and Ganeda in the Garden of Eden as you or me walking into a fire. In theory, no one outside of us stops us, but everything inside us screams at us not to do it. What he had free will over was different, was to let a whole different world in. Not to do anything specifically evil, but to try to feel what reality is like at the center of existence. It's a very powerful essay of Desla. It's based partly on the Maharal, who says that really Adam was motivated by a desire to get closer to God. 
because says, I'm so close to you, God, right now that what's it like? It's like it's like me demonstrating loyalty by never leaving your side, but we're roped together, or I don't have legs or something. You know, let me cut the chains loose. Let me run away from you, and then let me bring as a separate entity. I'll I'll, I'll demonstrate my love by coming completely to you. So there may even have been some kind of positive thoughts around, of course, the mistake, but God didn't tell you to do that. Who cares whether they'll make you closer to that, right? But the depth here is somewhere on some subtle level, not a choice was, do you want to experience the world as a self-centered being? It was not a choice to make anything particularly evil, right? That's what it was. So it was almost a choice to reprogram yourself. Would you like to experience a different program? Now, once that program's there, bing, now everything becomes tempting. Before that program was there, no specific negative act would be tempting. The only tempting act was to change the program. Get a software downgrade or whichever way you want to look at it, right? That's, that's the metaphor. The program being make it living in a more self-centered universe. And like, at which point, because Adam did that, we're now born with that. Right, well, I think they bring Bashem that result. Really speaking, Adam was a, a soul that contained all of us. Right. That's right. And more, and more than that, the unity that Adam was as a oneness is gone in his place. When Adam says, I want to be the center of reality, now every part of him becomes this experience itself as the center of reality. So all of our neshamas, all of our souls are like outgrowths or fragments or broken pieces of, if you like, the original oneness of the soul which is why our mission is first as, as Israel, as a Jewish people, ultimately all of mankind to come back together again and to, to be vessels for God's light. That's what we've got to do, right? That's the whole story. And that now we're no longer in Gan Eden, the garden that had all of time in it. We're now each experienced fragments of the moments of time, one after another, fragments of souls, you know, each one entering and trying to do something. Yeah, we've lost that level. And, and because we're pieces of the Adam with the reprogrammed poisonous, stuff inside, self-centeredness, is that that's the dominant paradigm of our brain. And that's what we're wrestling against, the working against, struggling. But we're still plugged into all the holiness, but we're also plugged into a lot of uh, not great stuff as well. And we're wired in, of course, to, to everything that's animalistic in the worlds, and sometimes things that are worse than the animal in the worlds as well. Interesting what you were saying before about kind of like, you know, we, we now have senses whereby, yes absolutely because we're still plugged into all the spiritual worlds Maybe not as intensely as before, but it's there. So it may not feel like a fire to us, but they'll, yes. And as we elevate beyond certain temptations or certain things, the voice will speak more and more loudly inside us. And you may get the tzaddik who is actually repulsed by the thought of getting upset or jealous with anybody, right? So, you know, that, but that's a whole separate level. But it takes a lot of work to get to that point or repulsed by the thought of doing anything that's not God's will. But that would, that would take tremendous, tremendous uh, work unless this person's got a very powerful spiritual gift. But generally speaking, that's not the native, natural, innate mindset of the human being, certainly not from birth, right? But the voices are all still there, but they're muffled out by lots of competing voices. 
they're much, much fainter on the one hand and in competition now with a lot of other noise in the brain, including very loud, impulsive noise to actually go into the fire very often. More often not, the impulse is going to the fire and the wisdom voice is much less impulsive, right? So it's the kind of, and we got to learn to, to bring it out. Yeah. Okay. So that's it. So, um, therefore, when the other side, what's the other side mean? So if you imagine all the forces of holiness and they align in the human who is poised between God's will, existence and non-existence at the edge of the two that allows us to feel free will. If you project into non-existence, you could develop a whole shadow reality, a very dark world of temptation. It's all fake, it's all illusory, but very, very real within the brain of the human. And that's called the other side. There's actual negative forces that would pull the human down, that would fight against, would try to block the light coming in. And, would, and a human, after the sin, starts to see these things as actual realities that are, well, they are realities in the temptations, but the temptation becomes incredibly real. And we become now, it becomes, it becomes um, it's called, it, it's basically a model of an alternative reality that looks like a demonic um, evil version or counterpoint to everything good. For every good trait there could be, for every good thing, and for every power in the spiritual worlds, there's an, there's an opposite reaction. Now, it doesn't have independence, right? We sometimes speak about it a little bit like it does, but we're not dualists who believe in a, a good God and a dark forces and stuff. We do believe there are real forces that, that pull people towards evil, right? And that's called the other side. Now, in ultimately, they're in service of Hashem. Ultimately, they're kind of our, our weightlifting device in the gym that we as a, as a humanity eventually, but we as Kralis, or we as individuals have to fight against, Right? and work against and pull through and bring God's light shining in, and then they'll have done their role in the world. So, you know, saying ultimately everything is in the big final picture, ultimately, 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 ultimately in service of Hashem. But it, what it does in the meantime can be utterly devastating and horrific and, and terrible for the individual, for communities, for nations, for the humanity, for the whole world. There, there's so much, so much stuff, this stuff can wreak havoc. And we humans choose it, right? We choose to embrace it. We choose to drive it into us. We choose to give into it. And we magnify its power. We magnify the pushing out of light in the world and the forces of darkness that come into the world. And then we're in this world and suffer all the consequences of it. That's essentially what's going on. Okay, that's what he's saying. By, um, so this was what he... Um, Right. So when this, when the dark forces wanted to tempt man, they had to come from the outside in the form of this this snake, right? Um, not like now, where the temptation comes inside our brain and the neurons are firing and going, hey, this would be a brilliant idea. On the contrary, the voice inside us now speaks in the first person. You see... Now we say things like, I really feel like doing something. No, you shouldn't do it. The, almost the good voice speaks to us in the second person. You shouldn't do this. The, the negative drive speaks in the first person. Like, I really want to do it. It's, it's, it's not us at all. Right? That's how you get, you know, you say to any group of people, have you ever experienced this? Step one, I really want to do this. Step two, you go ahead and do it. Step three, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> so, you know, where did that come from? It was this foreign voice that came inside my head that took me over. You know, that is exactly how it works. But it, when it's speaking inside our head, it says the first person, I, 
you know, I want this. And oh, you're so boring, you like other voices, you know, China, the good voices like this external, but you know, it's not good for you. Now, but I really want it, but maybe, I, you know, and, and then when we've done it, it disappears. And we're like, ah, oh, I can't believe it. That, that's, that's what's going on. That's now, this is the result. Uh, who writes of an imshach? It's a beautiful. Some of the lines here, just like so. Oh my goodness, this is me. You know, who writes of an imshach? Last as Avni, we want and are pulled to do the sin. It doesn't feel like it's something external anymore. When man, when humanity, when mankind, when Adam sinned and went after the other side, now all the what were hitherto partially illusory forces now enters a real power inside them, inside the human. Um, and via that, they now impact all the worlds. This is the tree of knowledge of good and bad. The key words here is going to be das, is going to be, right? We say the tree of knowledge of good and bad. But Reb Chaim is going to point out that really the word das does not best translate as knowledge. Okay, let's just see this inside. For any mavuna maven beitz Chaim shaklipas, and that's so ki das perishes chaper so you can either yeah. So for that das the rather this is the not tree of knowledge of good and bad, or we're going to change the word from knowledge just to call it the tree of das of good and bad. Shenis chabrum nesarav b'seichoi where things are connected and mixed within them, and in all the worlds as well, the good and the bad, one inside the other, because the word das, it means, it means connection. The word das does not mean knowledge. When we talk about the intimate relationship, the first time it occurs in Torah, Adam the man knew his wife. It doesn't mean he became aware that she existed. It means intimate connection and relationship. The word das means intimacy, connection, deep connection. with. So why do we use the word for knowledge? Simply because knowledge is an act of incredible connection. And if, if a person doesn't have sensory senses that work, they can live inside a brain but not be aware of anything in the world. Once their eyes open and their brain processes, then the information in front of them can now connect with their inner world. The knowledge connects the facts in the outer world with the mind in the inner world. It connects your feelings when you communicate with words to somebody else's feelings, right? Your feelings can get inside, they can connect them inside their head. Then eventually the brain can connect to more abstract facts like laws of physics and so on. But what's going on across the board is there is deep connection happening. Knowledge is the bridge between things out there and things in here. And that's why we use it. So it's really fusion, infusion of information. And this, therefore, is not a tree of knowledge of good and bad. It's a tree of fusion of good and bad or confusion of good and bad. A tree where they are fused together integrated and mixed with one another and intimately intertwined with one another. And this now is the story of the human being. It says Reb Chaim of Elijah in an ingenious piece. Anyone who studies the Arizal carefully will see in this the gate of the Klippas Noiga. It's one of the layers of reality that on the border of, of where there's holiness and unholiness. There he speaks very briefly. If you ever studying again, any of you guys, uh, next time you're learning through that result, the section on Gilgulim on, um, 
on uh, reincarnation. This the Gemara says, The Gemara says it placed inside her. Now, sometimes we call Zuama poison, like poison, or even the slime. It can mean that of the snake. But it doesn't say it placed it on her, it placed it in her, in her very being, in the very fabric of the human. And now there is constant confusion. The human being is an unclear entity. We're like a mess, right? That, um, we're very inconsistent. Pam toiv, pam ra, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Like one minute the guy's do, next minute he's angry, next minute he's calm, like all over the place. But now comes an even more profound point. The gam even when a person does good, kim at bilti afshet, virtually impossible. Leroyva oilam for at least the vast majority of the world. Shetia kula kodesh zakat nikiel gamre to do any single act that is 100% top to bottom, beginning to end, completely pure, holy, etc. Without a little bit of ego, a little bit of anger, a little bit of, a little bit of, at least something somewhere. And the same happens in the opposite. Person does terrible thing, but even if they do bad, at least a bit of something good or something they think is good or some mitigating thing. By the way, this is why when we're in an argument with somebody, once we're in the tree, now in the snake of the subjective self, how it feels to me defines reality. Once we feel somebody's, we feel negative towards somebody, our brain then goes on a hunt. Even in the good they do, we look for the bad. And we find it because it's there. If you don't like somebody, you'll go searching for the bad and it will always be there. And if you love somebody or you're the one who's, you'll look for the good even in things, you go, I mean, yeah, but they deserved it and it was this, it was justice, it was to teach them, right? Because we can always see the good even in the bad and the bad even in the good and that blinds us. That's how we can get into a fierce argument with somebody and interpret everything they do as bad. All of a sudden we discover the truth, they're an evil monster and even when they give charity and even when they're this and even that, what we're doing is the real reality is that we're now a complex integration of good and bad and everything else. And even when we do acts that are 99% good, there'd always be something not quite right and vice versa. Now he says an even incredible chiddush. He says, Gamma tzaddik gomer, even a person is a perfect tzaddik, a complete tzaddik, I should say. Shem yomav who's never actually done an avera, they've never sinned. They haven't even wasted time they're speaking nonsensical talk, right? There's not, or at least speech is not good or something. In Kolze, with all of this kimat built it's virtually impossible. Klal, within all the good they do, even the most holy, holy person, some acts may actually be, if you listen carefully to it, some acts could be 100% pure, but even then they're likely to be somewhere in the good acts, little bits of, not averas, not sins, chashalam. Obviously, you're going to re, he's actually going to see retranslate the word hate anyway, uh, away from sin. But things that are imperfections and things that have something negative within all the tremendous positive. There won't be any lack or any something quite a little, little wrong within it. So this is what the verse the Apostle says in, in Kailas, chapter 7. Um, Ecclesiastes 720, I get any chance to Ecclesiastes here. Kahales, Zayn Chaf 720. Ki Adam ain't tzaddik baris, there is no man who is a tzaddik in the world. Who will do good and not sin. 
Now we used to meet, in us, nobody only does good, everybody does some sins. And that's of course true. But even there might, there are people in the world who get to a point where they no longer do any sins. They're no longer any hate, I should say, right? Anything wrong. But then you read the verses, there's no one in the world who does good without something imperfect in the good. Who does the good and doesn't do something wrong within the good. Right, that's how you read this. It actually makes a lot of sense in the reading. What it means to say, there won't be at least something. They'll do good, but there'll be some little bit of ego, little bit of this, little bit of something lazy, imperfect, something. Because doesn't mean sin. It means that which is missing or lacking. Right, you see this with the Sukkim in Tanakh verses, biblical verses. The word chait is also used when archers and slingers miss the target. So there's something missing. We're missing the aim, we're missing this, we're missing, right? It's something imperfect. And yeah, it's because the cause of this, where we're composed of all the good, but also so much darkness mixed in, it's almost impossible to get to 100% purity. It's not even what we're trying to aim for in most cases, for most humans. But that's the point. That's what it means that eight that's the tree of fusion, of good and bad, they're so intertwined that it's almost impossible to do life 100%. Okay, so it's not all or nothing. We can't be 100% perfect. So if we're 50%, let's get to 51. Then from 51 to 53, 53 to 57, 62, 67. Let's keep moving up and up and up and up all our lives. 93, 95, you know. But that's the that's the point. Okay, I think, yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I think it says, yeah, let's, let's stop over here. Um, We've got Okay, you know, and let's do this. It's still a very long footnote. So let's let's try to um we'll carry on from hopefully from Lochain. Um as a sham next week. Okay, uh yeah. Um okay, so any no if I okay, yeah, yeah. Good. We'll see you all next week. That's a sham.